Hello there. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. I want to thank the Manitoba Turkey Producers. Did their little pop-up barbecue right next door to us here. Went down for my second just moments ago. Atta boy. Fueled. Ready for the next three hours? Or now, are you really fueled for the next three hours, or are you fueled for the next hour and a half? I may. And then are you going to have to dip in the grapes and the uh, blueberries Ooh. that I brought for today? You did. You, you, mm-hmm. Wow, look at that. That's yeah. a nice assortment. I'm uh, turning over a, a new leaf. Greg's trying to eat healthier. So. Oh, I'm trying so hard, Brett. I had the turkey burgers for the both of us today. <laughs> and, uh, but yes, thank you for the to the Manitoba turkey producers, some good granny's poultry. And, uh, man, they're tasty. I should do more turkey burger stuff. So that was good. And uh, Carolyn Claussen's coming in today. It's Thursday, so we are going to talk to her. She has a post on her blog, connectsuscounseling.ca is the website. That's where you can find the blog. And the the headline of the blog is called Fault Not Relevant. And the idea is that she often hears people refusing to go to counseling because they think that they don't have the problem. And does just because you may not have the problem that is having an effect in your life doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't benefit from counseling or that it couldn't benefit your mental well-being. So we'll discuss that at 2.30. Yeah, and that ties into a video I watched on Facebook the other day. I was very enthralled by it. The idea of what one person needs out of a relationship and how they express their pleasure or their love of you is different than the other. And so the things that we need, the things that we get, the things that we give and the things that we need are all sometimes completely different. And you have to understand what language each other is talking about. So hopefully we can spin it around on the positive side as well in that discussion with Carolyn later later on. Right now we want to talk about voicemails. Want you to hear a clip, a couple of clips from a voicemail we got last week, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way to the the person who made the call. I mean, it ended up providing us with some content which we did on our show. But this voicemail came into our radio station, and it kind of left us scratching our head. I've bleeped out a couple of th- things too, as far as identifiers are concerned. But I did leave her name in, and you'll see why I left it. Here we go. Hey, it's Mary calling from Turkia Communications for one six. 9929 extension 221. Um, this morning we sent over some information as tomorrow is. All right, doesn't matter what tomorrow is. I'm going to play that again because it goes by a little quick, and I know with the beeps there, it might be a little bit distracting. But it's also sort of the point, the fact that it goes by so quick. Hey, it's Mary calling from Turkey Communications for 169929 extension 221. Um, this morning we sent over some information as tomorrow is. All right. So in that first 10 seconds, she has identified herself. Couldn't tell if the name was, if it was Mary, if it was Mira. Murray. Yeah, I don't know. Mandy. And the number that she rattled off so quickly couldn't make it out. And that's, that's, people have the tendency to do that. I think it's human nature. Oh, what's your number? Oh, it's a 779-30. You just sort of spit it out because you know it off the top of your heart. And you just automatically think, well, why don't you know it? That's, and I think that that's just human nature. But typically, if someone's going to give their number out that quickly, I would hope that they put it at the end. This is the end of the voicemail. And if you're interested, uh, please give us a call. We'd be happy to arrange a phone interview with him. Thanks. Have a great day.
So that voicemail was uh, 70 seconds long in its entirety. No recap of the phone number. No reiteration of who was actually calling. No opportunity to get a pen. I know for me, I could not tell you which button on my phone I need to press to rewind the voicemail, (laughs) which means I've got to listen to the entire thing over again. If you're leaving a voicemail incorrectly, I try to do my best to leave as much detail as I can in a voicemail. I probably leave too much, my verbal diarrhea and everything problem that I have. But I've actually, and you've been around, Brett, where I've exchanged emails or voicemails in particular back and forth with enough information that we never even had to speak to each other, either until they come on the air with us or... Uh, until we actually have a face-to-face meeting for something. And so voicemail can be tremendously effective, but not if you don't use it right and if you don't speak as clearly as possible. And this was a prime example of someone who's in the communications world who didn't even know how to leave a proper voicemail. And we're using this as an example, not because this individual was al- is alone in this. It's far too common. And I think a lot of people are missing out on opportunities, connections, business, because they don't leave the sufficient or proper information in the right order in a voicemail, and people just get frustrated and go, delete. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that can turn people off to say, you know what, I don't have time for this. I don't care what the the topic is. In this particular case, I wanted access to the, the content, so I had to just keep going back and listening to the phone number again and just writing down as many digits as I could at a time <laughs> until I finally had oh, seven or eight. It was a lot. It was a, it took a lot longer. But once we got that ball rolling and I got her on the phone, we made things happen within, I think, 30 minutes. So it was a job well done once we got, once I actually got her on the phone. But the initial voice message was a little tenuous. And again, leave the, the recap at the end. Now, you have pulled some audio examples that you would like to share for the class, have you not, Greg? I have. I have a study sheet. Oh. Okay. Yes. How to leave a professional voice message? Is I that do. the one? Yeah, it is. And okay. it says, think first. I never answer. Th- I never answer the phone, by the way. Voicemail can be your friend. I don't answer the phone unless I know who's calling me. Yep. If it's important, you'll leave a voicemail. If it's not important, nothing lost. So I don't want to get sideswiped by who I'm talking to on the other end of a phone. It's the same thing. Anticipate leaving a voicemail. And it says, before you pick up the phone, pause for a second and summarize in your mind the purpose of the call in one or two sentences. Remember, between 50 to 67% of all calls end up going to voicemail. And I bet that that percentage is going up every day. Now you will be prepared to leave a concise voicemail message without rambling on until the phone system cuts you off. Yeah, that happens to me from time to time. Number two, introduce yourself. Begin every voicemail message by introducing yourself. So the recipient knows who's calling right away. It should include your full name, title, and company name. Now, obviously, the level of formality will depend on who you are leaving the message for. Yeah. Speak slow. Speak slowly enough so the person receiving the message can hear every word. It is very frustrating 
when you retrieve a message only to find that the other person is speaking so quickly that you must listen more than once to understand them or jot a short note about the call. Okay. I think that's a great idea. Speak clearly. I think that goes without saying. That one should be easy. Keep it short. Here's the part. Here's the one tip I have a hard time with myself. You don't have to leave every detail on your voicemail message. Most business phone systems have a one to two minute time limit for messages. It is acceptable to leave a short summary of the reason for your call and end it by saying, please return my call and I will go over the issue with you in more detail. Okay. That sounds reasonable. It's a call to action. Call to action. End it professionally, just like a professional business letter and by giving your contact information if you, the person, is unfamiliar with you or might have trouble placing you, repeat your name and your company along with the best way to reach you and your contact information. If you already have a strong working relationship, you may be able to skip repeating your name, but still be sure to give them the best number to reach you. So I shouldn't end the call with $5, get out of here, slam. Depends on your intention, I suppose, okay. Brett. All right. Drop call. If you believe your voicemail message was dropped by the voicemail system before you were finished, try the call again. Lead off by telling the person that you believe your previous message may have been dropped. Example, hello, this is Jim Buck. I think my previous message may have been cut off, so here it is again. (laughs) Practice and test yourself. I don't know how many people would do that, but if a big part of your business, big part of your world is leaving messages, if you're unsure... Speaking too fast, clearly enough, ask a friend or business associate to help you. Call him or her, leave a fabricated voicemail message on their phone. Ask them to listen to it and evaluate it based on the tips listed above. Listen to it yourself and see if you sound professional. So I think that's some pretty good messaging there, some good advice. That's actually a really good tip, that last one too. Well, they're all great tips, but I like that last one in particular because if you think you are speaking too fast. Sometimes you might be. Sometimes you might not be. But if you're leaving a voicemail with uh, somebody where you are trying to get something accomplished, but you're a little nervous about it, you might. People do tend to speak a little too quickly when they get nervous. They tend to get rambly. So I never really thought about the idea of practicing on someone else. I might often practice ahead of time, just sort of trying to map out in my mind what I want to say because I'm not particularly gifted at just coming up with something on the spot, so I do sometimes need to lay it out ahead of time. But uh, I think I'd actually know that I think of it would probably feel dumb practicing. So it could be if I was if I didn't feel too stupid to do it, I think it'd be a good tool to try it. Otherwise, I'd fall on my face. Well, it's like doing mock sales calls when you're in the sales world, right? It seems a little silly at the time, but it is super valuable so that when you're on the spot, you know how you would react in a certain situation, and it gives you pause and and the ability to go into your kit bag and, and pull out that reaction and to remind yourself of, oh, yeah, I've done this before. It might have been in a mock situation, but uh, I'm handling this A-OK, and this is where I go with it. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. And what is the question we want to ask here, Greg? Your level of frustration with voicemail in leaving and receiving. 
We are getting text messages pointing out some things about voicemail. So if you have any things you want to verbalize, give us a call at 204-780-6868. I find sometimes that the the voicemail system can be a little too short. That's a frustration that I have because if you are making a call where a fair amount of detail is necessary, but if it cuts off after, say, 30 seconds, because you never know. Jeff Courier uh, was just telling us that he got a voicemail that was a couple of minutes long. And on the flip side, you might get a voicemail that's 30 seconds, three minutes, five minutes. You never really know when you're calling. It has happened a few times where I've tried to call somebody, leave a voicemail, got cut off. And then I start mashing the keys to try to fix because often you have the opportunity to re-record it, right? But the interfaces are different depending on which phone system or cell phone provider the person you're calling might be using, right? Yeah. The interfaces, there's no magic uh, key. There's no magic number for go back and record. So you do, you have to listen and then you get frustrated and then you start mashing keys and then thank you for your voicemail. <laughs> and then you're sent. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to hear. 204-780-6868 would love to hear your stories about voicemail. Perhaps you had an em- embarrassing story where you left a voicemail. I'm thinking of the movie Swingers. Do you did you ever see Swingers? Uh, I saw Swingers, absolutely I did. Do you but remember I don't the, remember the voicemail. Well, there's a scene where this guy calls this girl he just met at the bar and he calls her like 5 times in a row and the answering machine keeps running out. And then she finally, I think, picks up and says, never call me again. <laughs> oh, the good old voice machines. Yeah. Those were the best. 204-780-6868. Your forecast is coming up next. This message is for Jill. Jill, I found your resume on Monster. Uh, I wanted to invite you in for an interview next Friday for our national business development rep opening out of our Boston office. Uh, if you could give me a call back and let me know if uh, 10 or 11 next Friday works better for you. Uh, my name's Mark. I'm calling from Software Solutions, and my number is 9932. Again, I'm looking for uh, you to come in next Friday uh, at either 10 or 11, and I want to know which time works better for you. Uh, is focused on selling financial software solutions to the healthcare industry. So, again, uh, if you can give me a call back, I'd appreciate it. Uh, have a great day. Bye. My first question. Once I deciphered the phone number, would be, are you going to be my boss? Okay. <laughs> because I don't want to work for you. That was so discombobulated <laughs> and uh, awkward. <laughs> Pulled that one off of the good old YouTube there. I'm Greg. He's Brett. It's Mackling McGarry through until four o'clock. We're talking about voicemail. A lot of people, I actually used to sell voicemail systems once upon a time. Oh, of course. And uh, this was going back 18 years now when voicemail was a fairly new thing. And a lot of people, you had to actually sell them on the idea of actually having it. Yeah. Never mind what was better and how to set it up and which system worked better. It was the whole idea of whether I needed voicemail or not. Now here we are 18 years later and people are wondering, you know, is voicemail going away because of all the, the text technology that we have? So... This is just a fine example of how not to leave a voicemail. <laughs> Don, you're up next at 204-780-6868. What do you think? Uh, I, well, I think I have a, it's a real problem now um, for me at a certain age. Uh, just the other day, I got a voicemail from someone, and my wife and I 
listened to it nine times to figure out the name which we were wrong on and the phone number. And it turned out to be a bank. And it was a business uh, situation. <clears throat> and when I called the person, um, you know, I, I asked if he could slow down. He was very quick. Just like you say, it was like his, his voicemail started off, and by the end, he was like he was running. And uh, I, being in business in, my, in the past and in sales, I suggested maybe you could slow down a bit. He was quite offended. He was offended? <laughs> really? He was offended. And then when I finally did, I found out it was a bank, and he didn't leave his business, what business it was or anything. And uh, I went there, and he had to call another branch in a different city. And he called there, and the person wasn't there. Well, he left a message the same as he left for me. I was going to say something, but I thought, well, no, maybe it's not the best idea. And he was, you know, dressed well in a suit, very pleasant. But I find that's happening more and more nowadays. It's like everybody's in a hurry. Instead of what I was taught, you got to repeat the number twice at least, and maybe your name twice. And I want, if I'm leaving a message, I want that person to call me back. 100% if it's important. Don, that's an example of a call that we can handle on this show anytime. Clear, concise, great thought process in terms of sharing your story. We really appreciate it. In fact, you, you probably did better at that storytelling than at least one of the hosts does on a regular basis. And I have my hand up. Oh, stop it. We've got a text here, a couple of texts on the subject. I despise voicemail. Text me or email me if I don't answer. Only acceptable if you are not aware of those two avenues. Many voice messages are rambling or too fast and a pain to dial in and delete. I agree with that. Kristen. (laughs) Go ahead, read Kristen's. Anxiety disorder sufferer here. I hate telephones with the fury of 1,000 hellfires. (laughs) Always need a long time to muster the courage to make the call. When I finally bite the bullet with my detailed notes strewn in front of me, I am always so relieved to get the voicemail. My voicemail game is on point. Perfection is key so that they never <laughs> they never have to call me back. So Kristen hates telephones, but she loves voicemail. I think I was telling you the other day, my grandmother... Uh, Nanny, if you're listening, I apologize for uh, sharing your story. But whenever she leaves me a voicemail, it's like she's surprised that she's reached me and reached my voicemail every single time. I think it's just a habit now. Oh, oh, oh hi, Greg. <laughs> you were expecting somebody else on the voicemail, Nan? It is coming up to 1.30 on 680 CJOB. After the news, we're going to talk about a record month of home sales. For the city of Winnipeg. 134, this gorgeous Thursday afternoon. Hey, we're uh, counting down the hours. Three and a half on air for you. Then you're on holidays for a week, man. Um, Well, sort of, yes. Oh, of course, you're here Saturday. Yes. Couch Potatoes. Yes. How many times are you doing that show this weekend? Uh, Couch Potatoes goes twice. Saturday mm-hmm. afternoons at one and Sundays at three. Okay, never mind. Your holidays don't start for a little while yet. Uh, next week, Keith McCullough will be in for Brett on Monday, and then it's Tristan Field-Jones taking over the uh, sidekick chair from Tuesday until Friday. So hopefully you will stick around next week in spite of the fact that Brett will not be with us. So we're your sidekick? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I meant that Tristan was taking over the sidekick duties from McCullough. 
That's all. That's all I was saying. That's all I was saying. Nobody's my sidekick. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we're uh, we're equal partners on this one, man. It's okay. I, you know what? I watched uh, just uh, that sort of reminds me. There was a movie called Sky High. It was a Disney movie. And it was sort of like a Harry Potter kind of deal, but with superheroes instead. Right. It was like a, a high school for kids who came from superhero families. Okay. And uh, you were either, then they had this like really divided class system where based on your power, you were either a hero or a sidekick. Or a sidekick. Oh, now you're, now you're making me feel bad. No, no, but that's why, I, <laughs> that's why I always laugh when I hear that word because I think, Oh, well, the sidekicks all had really lame powers in that movie. But at the end, they all branched out and became heroes. Can I offer you a grape? I will take a grape. Will that bridge the uh, gap that divides us at the moment? Well, it has a little bit of blueberry flavor. Yeah, are we back on even keel now? Yep. yep. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Hey, uh, here's the headline uh, from Marie McNeil, uh, our friend at the Winnipeg Free Press. Macy's boom and resale home market, Winnipeg's resale home market, was on fire in May, setting a record for the most properties sold in a single month. Our good friend Peter Squire joins us from Manitoba, Winnipeg Realtors. And uh, Peter, this is a crazy number. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the surprise. I'm going to let you share with us the number of properties that changed hand through the MLS, according to Winnipeg Realtors Association. Yeah, I'm happy to tell you, Greg and Brett, that uh, we had a record month, and the first time we just missed the 1,700 uh, mark for a month. So we've never reached that lofty height before for our local market uh, in our history, uh, 114 years. So we were really pleased to see uh, a very active month of uh, real estate activity, and and that certainly spread across both residential attached, condominium, and and some other residential property types on our MLS system. Peter, did that translate into a record dollar amount as well? Oh, yes. That was the other thing. With with those number of sales and, and with the fact that, you know, Greg, we've seen a little bit of a, uh, you know, inching, I call it, not, not major. We're not like Toronto or Vancouver, but we have seen some price increases in modest in the last five, six years. Um, yeah, our dollar volume tends to go up as well. Uh, so that is a new uh, high high benchmark as well we're at we just fell short of half a billion dollars for the for the month so we were 499.4 million dollars in dollar volume so peter what's driving this growth then why why did we just have a record month well you know you know i i think some of the things we've talked about before are still in place the uh, as much as we have a new stress test, which which the federal government brought in in October of last year, and, and uh, it is having some impact on first-time buyers in, in 2017, we, we still have some of the lowest mortgage rates in our history. So that's obviously still fueling uh, real estate activity. Uh, we have great affordability in, in comparison to many other major markets in the country. And 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 the other big thing I think is, and with all the we've had the population increase. In, in our market region, we're not just uh, we don't just cover Winnipeg. We cover the entire you know Greater Winnipeg area. So we've seen a lot of good activity outside of Winnipeg as well in the last few years, and and then we've you know we've really got a lot of choice. We we've had more listings come on the market in the last few years, so that helps as well in in having our roughly 1,750 realtors out there, uh, they have more product, you might say, to offer uh, potential buyers in, in different ways in different areas. So that's really helped as well. 
Hey, Peter, I'd hate to do this right live on the radio, but if I could just get you to back off your phone just a touch. It's coming through just a little distorted. Uh, So we appreciate that, and I think Greg's got the next question for you. Yeah, Peter, there's some speculation that this is tied to the new development tax that's uh, being levied on brand-new home construction. Uh, Do you think that's the case? And and if so, can we talk about that there could be a benefit here for the resale home market if uh, if that trend continues? And if people start comparing apples and oranges new versus uh, previously owned and previously enjoyed homes? Well, it's a very good question, uh, Greg. We've actually uh, talked about that last year when this uh, uh, new impact fee was rolled, you know, was was first introduced and then rolled out at the end of the year. Uh, we, We said that that could very well be an impact that it will get people that are thinking of moving out of areas like Linden Woods, I'll use them as a good example because Linden Woods did extremely well in May, as best as I've seen it do in, in any May of, of when I've looked back. And uh, that's a good example because people in there that might be thinking, maybe I'll sell my 25-year-old you know, custom home that, that's getting maybe need some renovations and, and buy out in, in South Point or Bridgewater or wherever, Sage Creek, and they, and they decide, you know what, Instead, I think we'll stay put and we'll do a major renovation uh, because we don't really need to pay an extra impact fee. Uh, uh, and, of course, the, the cost of that new home, all factors considered. It makes them at least pause and think about that, not to say they won't go ahead in some cases. So that's something we are watching, uh, and, uh, and we are going to look at uh, building permit activity through the city to see if some of those, those areas are seeing more uh, – significant renovation permits and not just you know uh, 25 30,000 but more more dramatic ones that would would be a, a commitment by that owner to stay instead of uh, listing their home and looking at at building or or buying a new a brand new home. Peter, we've been hearing for years now sort of threats of Ooh, potential market crash or, you know, being on the bubble. And we hear it from bigger cities like Toronto and Vancouver. But we've been hearing about this stuff for years. It feels like forever, really. Uh, And I know that's an exaggeration. But when you come to a a moment like this where Winnipeg and the Winnipeg area has this record, is that cause for concern that we could be edging closer to this crash that everybody keeps waiting for? that to me is so overstated. As our chief economist has said from our Canadian Real Estate Association, we would need something very dramatic in our national economy and world collapse. Something you know, interest rates going up three or four percent in one fell swoop, and those things just aren't ever likely to happen. It's going to be very incremental, whatever does happen in the next few years. And the the good thing about Winnipeg is we're such a stable, steady market. That tends to be our our uh, you know our, our ace of spades, so to speak. And, and our uh, we're, that's our strength, our diversity in our local economy. Not to say that we we uh, you know we we can't suffer some impact. So uh, we think we're much better positioned uh, to to weather any storm that may come our way, and certainly far better than some cyclical markets like you've seen over many years in in places like Vancouver and even Toronto, uh, which is far more overheated. Uh, I mean, uh, if you look at our prices, we've been much steadier since 2011. We had some spike-ups in the millennium decade from 2003 to 2008, but things have really settled down. 
And uh, despite all this sales activity, which is, I think, good news for the economy and, and for buyers and sellers, um, the, 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 we're seeing modest price differences when you compare them to the previous, you know, last few years. Peter, last one. I know I promise not to keep you too long, oh, no but problem. we could talk about this stuff for hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it fascinates me. But And the one thing that pops into my head when we have these discussions, uh, Glenn Murray was criticized for a lot of things. He was celebrated for others. One thing I, that stuck in my mind with him and things that he would say about Winnipeg and the key to Winnipeg's future was getting to that population of around 750,000. And he would state that once you got to about 750,000, a 2% increase in population did wonders for the economy and is incredibly sustainable. Have we kind of reached that tipping point now where we don't need a massive influx percentage-wise for it to translate into a, a, a large number of actual people moving to Winnipeg? Well, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I'm not an expert on demography. I look at all the stats, of course, to try to get a sense of how we'll impact our real estate market. But I, I just happened to be a tourist guide for some amount of, out of town on Sunday, and I was taking them through the exchange district and really looking at the entire downtown. And even I, I'm a keen observer when I'm driving around to see some of the infill development throughout the city and obviously observing what's going out in South Point and all that, and, and some of the new development in the outlying areas and, and how, how Steinbeck's booming and Neverville and other places. And I, I really do think uh, we are getting, if not at that tipping point, we're getting close. I don't think we have to wait 25 years for this magic million people that we, we've heard about from the city projections. I think we are really seeing some real positive uh, indicators right now that the city's starting to take off and, and that that'll help generate you know, further activity as we, you know, as we go forward. Peter Squire, thank you very much. We appreciate your time as always and your insight. And uh, these record numbers, are uh, they're good for a lot of people. There are other people that causes some consternation, but we'll celebrate the good side with you uh, at the moment. Thanks again. Okay, happy to talk to you guys. Thank you so much, Peter Squire with the uh, Winnipeg Realtors Association talking about the boom of sales. Nearly 1,700 properties changing hands through the multiple listing service MLS this according to the Winnipeg Realtors Association for the month of May. That's a record for the most properties sold in a single month. I just thinking, the Winnipeg area. I'm just thinking about this as we've been talking about it. $499 million worth of houses sold. I wonder what that translates into land transfer tax <laughs> collected by the province. Oh. We should find out. Yeah. That's a big number. Because it's, uh, you know, what is it, a thousand bucks on the first hundred and fifty thousand, and then it goes up from there. That'd be fascinating to learn. Even at a thousand dollars minimum per transaction, it translates into uh, well, a se- well, ton if, of cash. Well, if it's seventeen hundred houses, I mean, it was just under seventeen hundred, but if it's seventeen hundred houses. By a minimum, a thousand dollars. Oh, a minimum. That was like that's the absolute minimum. So, okay, so that's one point seven. Million, I think my land transfer was up around four thousand. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So I, I would, I would say we're pushing about twenty million or uh, uh, four million dollars, probably four times. Uh, well, if it was four thousand per, and we're just like, <laughs> we should add a disclaimer. We're just doing some wild math speculation right now. Uh, we're just guessing. But if it was four thousand dollars a pop by seventeen hundred houses, that's well, look at that. It's six eighty. It's six point eight million. 
<laughs> 680 CJOB doing math speculation. Yeah, so we're just guessing here. But that's still, we're talking about millions of dollars in land transfer. 100% it is. Why don't we take a pause? We'll update the forecast. And I'm going to actually get a, a number that's even closer to accurate. Or maybe we already nailed it. It's Mackling McGarry talking a little bit about real estate. Have you sold your house? In the last month or so, are you glad you did? Are you shopping? Is it a headache? Would love to talk to you about it. Uh, like we're having coffee on this Thursday afternoon, just for a few minutes, 780-6868. We welcome your calls. Better at math than we thought we were. Oh, yeah? Not bad at all, McGarry. What'd we do? Well, we're just doing a little speculation out loud, as you do, as we used to do before the era of handheld devices when you're at Tim Hortons or sitting at A&W having a couple teen burgers and chatting about stuff. You had to speculate. You had to guess. Yeah. Well, went on the computer here, and the average price of a home in Winnipeg last month was just under $300,000. Okay. Land transfer... Tax on three hundred thousand dollars in Manitoba is three thousand seven hundred twenty. Oh wow! Multiply that by the number of houses sold; it's one thousand six hundred ninety-six, and you get what you got. Pretty gosh darn close. Seven, or pardon me, six million three hundred nine thousand one hundred twenty dollars. Oh, right on. So that's a good chunk of change. If I was on prices right, though, I would have. That's you would have gone over. Yes, you would have been over. You would have been over, my friend. That's a lot of money. Land transfer tax. I hate it. Biggest scam out there. Biggest scam out there. Uh, it's no secret that my great uncle was in the uh, NDP government uh, back in the 1970s and 1980s. And I asked him about land transfer tax and why it came in. And he told me quite definitively that that land transfer tax was meant just basically to bring in enough money to run and take care of land titles so that it was self-sustaining and so that it would take care of itself, that it didn't cost the government any money to register property and to execute all the legalities that need to be taken care of on the provincial side and registering properties and whatnot. Well, now it's turning into a gigantic cash cow for the province when you're when you're spending $3,700 yep. in land transfer tax. That's a ton of money, especially on a $300,000 house. You work, you scrimp, you save. You try to get your $30,000 or your $15,000 5% down payment or your $30,000. That's another 10, almost 11% of that down payment if you've managed to get a, a 20% down payment so that you can avoid CMHC. And now CMHC is tougher to get, man. I really feel for people who are trying to get into this market right now. It's, it's really difficult. That's the other side of having an economy that's doing well in a housing market that's doing well for as many people that are benefiting. There are people that are getting shut out of the market. I remember when I, when I got our house and that was sort of a rude awakening and, and I knew it was coming. I knew the land transfer tax was going to be there and I knew I would have legal fees and I knew all that extra stuff, but it just kept piling up. And I remember thinking, man, what have we done? <laughs> what have we done? And uh, it ended up being a mistake, but I just thought this, Land transfer, to me, it just, it, it, you, well, you said it, it, it just felt like a, a grab, you just a cash grab. Well, think about it. It represents on a $300,000 house, typically, or most likely the same amount of tax you're going to pay, pay property tax and school tax combined on that property for a year. Yeah. That's what it equivocates to. Do you think that that 
extra tax on top of what you referenced, having to save up for a down payment and all that. Do you think that that keeps that that tax alone maybe keeps some people out of the market? It has to. It has to be a barrier to entry for some people because it's a considerable amount of money, especially if you're going the five percent down payment route. Let's say you're buying a $200,000 house, $10,000 down payment. Now your land transfer tax is only going to be probably around $2,000 at that point. But you go from five to 2000 that's a big jump. It's like 40% on top of the down payment. And then a lot of people, unfortunately, don't account for the legal fees, et cetera, all the documentation, et cetera. It adds up very quickly. And if you're not prepared for it, it can be a rude awakening without doubt. Still to come this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry, we have stuff to give away. We will not be giving it away right now, so don't call right now. But we do have prizes to give away for Wonder Woman. They are run of engagement passes for Cineplex. We'll do that sometime after 3 o'clock, most likely. Also, Carolyn Clausen is in for her weekly visit. And we understand that it might be her birthday. Mm-hmm. So we'll Rumors abound. Wish her a happy birthday. And then after 3 o'clock, our colleague from our brother station down the hall, Power 97, Winnipeg's Rock. Why are they a brother station? Why aren't they a sister station? I just decided to go with brother. Okay. I would think of Peggy at 99.1 as our sister station. Oh, I see. And I would You're think defining Power, the is, sexuality the no- of Power the- is the noisy little brother down the hall. <laughs> They're the fun little brother down the hall. So she's gonna. T- she's actually putting on her public relations hat and is going to tell us about an event that she is organizing called Time Razor 150. It's uh, happening at the Graffiti Gallery on Higgins Avenue next week. So we'll. It's the the tagline is Bid Time, Do Good, Get Art. So I think that's a great sort of hook. We'll talk about that at three o'clock. After two o'clock, we are going to. Visited one of your old friends. Yeah, Mike Peters. He uh, ran the Harry Rosen, ran Harry Rosen for Western Canada for 29 years. If you spend any amount of time in Polo Park Mall, either as a shopper or as an employee, as a lot of people do at some point in their life, uh, you will recognize Mike. He's battling cancer for a second time, and he's going to share his story with us from Calgary on the other side of global news and weather, the top of the hour with Brett McGarry. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Hope you're having a fantastic Thursday. When I first found out I had cancer, it was devastating. The emotional roller coaster was at times overwhelming. I wrote Thief after my kidney was removed back in December of 2015, and I thought that was the end of my cancer journey. But I found out recently it has spread to my lungs. For those of us living with cancer, research is key. And in the last five years, there have been remarkable breakthroughs in finding a cure. On August 12th and 13th, I'll be joining many other Albertans in the Ride to Conquer Cancer, raising money for research and families living with cancer. Treatment to slow the tumors is going to be brutal. But it won't stop me from attempting this ride. My goal is to raise as much money as I can so that we can stop cancer once and for all. I would be grateful if you would consider sponsoring me with a donation. Or get on your bike, bring your helmet, and ride with me. That is the voice of our next guest, a former Winnipegger and... Let's be honest. You can take the boy out of Winnipeg, but you can't take the Winnipeg out of the boy. <laughs> Mike Peters joins us now. And if you spend any amount of time in and around the Polo Park area, you didn't necessarily have to buy a suit at Harry Rosen to know the uh, beautiful face of Mike Peters. Mike, uh, so great to connect with you. Thank you for taking time for us today. 
Well, thank you very much for inviting me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, when we were exchanging text messages, your your love for Winnipeg certainly came through. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what it's like living out west, especially when uh, so much of your heart still resides in Winnipeg. Yeah, I'm a, I'm I'm definitely a very proud Winnipegger. Although I'm living in Calgary, um, anybody who interacts with me on a on a business level and and even new friends that I make, they know I'm from Winnipeg for sure. I'm I'm uh, I'm one of those guys always crusading about how special um, my upbringing was. And and I have to say, I, I learned everything in Winnipeg. I I, I learned work ethic. I learned my uh, my sense of humor. I learned learned how to uh, handle the cold. All that stuff. Um, from from being in Winnipeg, so um, love going back, and, I, and and the great thing about it with with the business um, side of things, uh, I was able to go back to Winnipeg um, even over the last 17 years, at least once every you know six weeks or so to check in on the store and and see if I can be a support or a help to uh, to our market in Winnipeg. So, Mike, talk about your now second battle with cancer, and I don't know whether to. Uh, what word to use in this? I printed off an article, things not to say to somebody <laughs> with cancer, but you know, just tell us about this battle. You're fighting it bravely and just talk about uh, your first battle. Your website, I want to give it a plug. It's one, the number one, kidneymike.com. Clearly your first battle, whether you knew, knew you or know you at all, uh, clearly indicates your first battle was with kidney cancer. Yeah, you bet. I mean, uh, I think... Um uh, so what I have is is called um, kidney cancer or renal cell carcinoma, and uh, its nickname is called the silent killer because it it doesn't really have or give a lot of warning until it's at a stage where it's almost too late. So um, you know, let's rewind a little bit back to December 2015. Um, you know, I had a sore hip for some reason. My hip was bothering me. And I had a routine uh, physical coming up, uh, sorry, at the end of November uh, 2015. So I went to go see my doctor, went through the physical. And at the end, he said, listen, is there anything else that uh, we need to talk about? I said, you know, for some reason, my hip is bothering me. And he said, well, let's get an x-ray just to make sure, you know, you ski and you, you're a pretty active guy. So let's make sure you haven't fractured something. And went for an x-ray that day, went back a week later to, to get uh, to do a follow-up. And that's when the, and the ball started rolling. A technician actually had spotted um, in the far right corner of that x-ray a dark spot. And her, in her words, there was some medical jargon there, but she said, listen, there's, there's a, I have a little bit of concern about this little spot in the top right corner. And what that was was a 10-centimeter tumor hanging off of my kidney into the, into the frame of the x-ray um, just like maybe a quarter inch of it hanging down into the frame of the x-ray. And that triggered, you know, the next step. And next thing I knew, I was in the hospital December uh, 23rd having a full nephrectomy, which is the removal of, of your kidney. So I had the right kidney removed. It had a 10-centimeter tumor hanging off the bottom of it, like a, like a grapefruit. And uh, it was a malignant tumor, so it means that it was an active cancer. Um, so they took parts of muscle tissue and lymph nodes to make sure that it hadn't spread anywhere else. And the doctor, you know, uh, I, you know, I was in the hospital for Christmas, which is unique for a guy like me in retail. I was going out of my mind 
because um, <laughs> that's that's the time when <laughs> when uh, you know we're busy. And boy, was I ever thinking wrong at that time? You know, I was I was kind of concerned about work and 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 concerned about having cancer as well. But you know that that tells you the emotions of cancer are they they really screw your head up a little bit. So home for nine and a half weeks, um, thought, hey, dodged a bullet. Uh, I can live with one kidney. Many people do. Um, and, uh, you know, life, uh, life goes on until um, sometime around June. In June, I, got, uh, I went in for a routine CT scan. Most uh, cancer patients have to go for a regular CT scan to make sure that, you know, it hasn't spread or is spreading. And they spotted three nodules in my lungs. And kidney cancer has a habit of going from your kidneys to your lungs to your brain. That's its path of destruction. So, again, fast forward to August, three turns into nine, um, October, nine to 14. Uh, and then by December, I had 20 tumors growing, and they call them nodules or metastases, growing in my lungs in both sides. And they're very, very small, um, but they were growing at a rapid pace. And it was time to make a decision about treatment. And once they hit one centimeter, you're, you're allotted to, um, to choose a treatment. So that sort of brings us up to speed as far as, you know, January, February is concerned. And then now uh, I chose a trial, um, which is, um, you know, anybody who's ever uh, had cancer or has to go into cancer treatment um, for research to happen. They have things called trials where you choose a, uh, a drug uh, that isn't real on the market yet, and uh, and it's kind of an experiment, but you do it for research purposes so that you can help others uh, beyond your life with cancer, and they get good information to help find a cure. So I chose. Uh, I was uh, I was randomized to pick a drug called sunitinib, which is actually not an experimental drug, but you kind of have. It's part of the medical thing. You have to sort of take a gamble as to which drug you're going to go on, the new experimental one or the or the um, you know the standard one. And I am now in day 22 of treatment on sunitinib and managing the side effects or trying to anyway. What are the that? side effects? <laughs> What are the side effects of this drug? So there, if you read about sunitinib, there's about 40 because they have to list what ha has happened to anyone who's on the drug. But for me, um, you know, about five days in, I lost um, my sense of taste. So it affects your, your tongue and um, mouth sores develop and, and sort of lesions inside your mouth. So you're your mouth sound it almost feels like someone took a blowtorch, left it on in your mouth and went home. You know, like you, you taste things differently. Water tastes bitter. Uh, food doesn't have the same pleasure as it once did. So, but you have to eat because you have to keep your weight going and you got to keep nutrition going. And, um, you know, it, all things may not taste good. What does taste great though, I have to say is anything sweet. So for a guy who kind of, I've always watched what I've eaten and tried to stay fairly healthy, I'm now eating more ice cream than I, I can ever remember. Um, other side effects are uh, joint pain. Um, you, know, you, you know, about a week and a half into it, I had trouble, you know, with stairs and, and uh, you know, had to take it fairly slow. Unique rashes that just appear out of nowhere and then disappear. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, fatigue. You definitely get tired at about two o'clock every day. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm spent, you know, and I feel like having a nap. 
And some days I can work through it, and some days you just you can't. You just have to put your head down and get some rest and have you know a power nap for an hour or two, and then uh, you go from there. And there's also some other things. Heartburn is a is a common thing. My blood pressure has gone. I've never had high blood pressure. My blood pressure is now the highest, uh, not danger levels, but they are keeping a close eye on it. And I might have to take more medication to control that. And that's all directed from that medicine. Mike Peters joins us now. And uh, Mike lives in Calgary, but his heart has been in Winnipeg for a long time and still uh, gets to come to visit every once in a while. Not so much now. Now, with all this going on, Mike, you are declaring that you will be riding in the Alberta Ride to Conquer Cancer, August 12th and August 13th. Is there any doubt in your mind that you'll be able to do that entire ride? Oh, I am definitely going to do it. I mean, even during um, these side effects, I, I, I get on my bike, regardless of how good or bad or tired I feel, um, I'm training for it. And um, I plan to do it for sure. I, I, I think it's it's, uh, you know what, listen, I had to walk away from my work life, um, you know, and I, you know, that was tough for me, you know, 29 years with Harry Rose, and I, uh, I'm passionate about the company and, and, and passionate about our brand, and unfortunately, you know, had to walk away to, to really focus um, on getting better, and my new goal is this ride, and you kind of, you pick goals as you go along from what I've been told, like, I'm fairly young in the cancer journey here, but my new goal is to get the funding to get research um, to find a cure. And anybody who, who has been exposed to, to cancer in the last, especially the last five years, will tell you that research is moving at breakneck speed right now. They've discovered immunotherapies that are helping a lot of people uh, get past this disease. And, you know, when, someone, when a doctor tells you, you know, you've got a limited amount of time statistically to live, uh, but... Uh, there is new research. You hang on to that. You hear those words and you say, what can I do to help get that research front and center? Can, how can I, you know, what do I need to do? And for me, the ride to conquer cancer, this, uh, this one coming up in August, is my opportunity to, to help not only myself, but others who are dealing with, uh, with this disease. Your goal is $50,000. You are just over $45,000. We'd love to help you get over that $50,000 mark uh, from generosity. You know, nobody's more generous per population, per capita, than Manitobans. And, uh, Mike, how can people connect with you, and how can they get behind you on this ride? Well, listen, any any um, support is, is appreciated. And, and I, I wrote a, a piece called Thief back when I first had my kidney removed because I, you know, I, I didn't, it was kind of a shock. So I wrote a little sort of art piece uh, around, um, you know, what it is to have cancer. Well, when I found out I had cancer again, I produced a, a video um, called Thief, which sort of outlines, you know, um, me training for the ride, but also, you know, you, you'll hear the words of what cancer has done to me, my family, that sort of thing. And the way to support that is if you go on, um, uh, you go to www.onekidneymike.com, and it's the number one, kidneymike.com, you'll see two videos. You'll see a video called the thief video I was describing, but you'll also see uh, some words from me, you know, asking for donations uh, and support for the ride. And on the page, there's plenty of places to click and 
and uh, and and you can go right to my personal page at Ride to Conquer Cancer. If you want to skip that too, you can do that, and you can make a donation. And and any like I say, any amount is is greatly appreciated. You can send Brett an email, Brett at cgob.com, or myself, Greg Mackling, gmac at cgob.com, if you would like to donate. I've got Thief queued up here. We'll play a little bit of it on the way out here, Mike. And I just want to thank Jared Petker, our common friend, for connecting us and uh, making sure we got in touch so that we could share this story with your your friends here in Winnipeg. Mike, uh, we're in your corner. We're cheering for you. And uh, hopefully we can uh, talk about this again and we can talk about how you kicked cancer's ass. You bet. Thank you so much again for having me out and uh, really appreciate the support from, from anyone. Great to hear your voice again, Mike. Mike Peters joining us from Calgary. He's battling cancer. He's doing it as bravely, as loudly, as proudly as anybody I know. And he mentioned the, the short film Thief. We'll play a little bit of it on the way out here. I'm Greg. He's Brett. No one heard you. And no one saw you enter our house. You were quiet and sly like a thief in the night. It was dark, and we didn't suspect that you were there. But you were crafty, hiding in the shadows, weaving among our belongings, looking for something of value. We heard plenty about your path of damage in other homes, but never guessed you would attempt to enter ours. You didn't discriminate, rich or poor. Once again, thanks to Mike Peters, and you can go to his website, the number one, kidneymike.com, to learn more about his battle with cancer and his short film, Thief, that expresses uh, Mike's feelings about cancer. It is a beautiful short film filmed up in Kananaskit. Kananaskis country features him uh, on his bicycle and he'll be riding that bicycle to conquer cancer to support research August 12th and 13th in Alberta. Mike, uh, if you missed it, a former Winnipegger uh, with Harry Rosen for an awful long time uh, at Polo Park, uh, been left Winnipeg about 17 years ago, but uh, a true Winnipegger through and through. And Brett, when you uh, talk to someone with Mike, we've had a couple of questions, you know, what's his prognosis? And he mentioned the fact that with kidney disease, it moves to your lungs, which it has done quickly and in, in I guess, a large volume of tumors and then to the brain. We, we didn't get into any percentages with Mike because I, I suspect the number is irrelevant to him. He's out to, to beat this thing 100%. If you uh, want the link to... His, uh, once again, his website is onekidneymike.com. That's where you can find information on how to donate. He's looking to raise $50,000 towards cancer research, and he's at 91% of his goal, $45,535. And uh, he this August, he's going to be joining a whole bunch of Albertans in the Ride to Conquer Cancer, raising money for research and for families living with cancer. Now he says, yeah, it's going to be difficult while he's on treatment, but he's going to participate and raise as much money as he can. And he's almost at 50 grand. So good for him for getting so far so quickly. He's still got lots of time left to make that goal. So it looks like he is well on his pace to making and exceeding his goal of 50 grand. 
I opened up my Facebook today, one of, probably about the fourth thing that I'll open when I get to my desk this morning. And high school friend's name came up in my Facebook feed. Someone that I knew had been battling cancer for the better part of a year. And I was shocked to learn this morning that she had lost her battle with cancer just this morning. And so to talk to Mike today is a, a little bit cathartic and, and it's uh, helping me a little bit today. It is such a hor- horrible disease. I've known far too many people that have had to deal with this cancer. And if uh, this conversation with Mike has inspired you, uh, please please go to his website, One Kidney Mike, uh, to help make a difference in the research for a cure for this ugly disease we call cancer. Carolyn Clawson joins us after the 2.30 News on 680 CJOB. I typed in, play worst happy birthday song ever, and this is what came off. I think it was a pretty accurate search. <laughs> Good for you. It was funny. Carolyn Clausen is here, therapist with Connexus Counseling. Happy birthday, Carolyn. Thank you very much. That's very thoughtful of you to greet me that way. And some you brought. we're benefiting from your birthday. You brought us some cookies. My mother brought cookies to my office, and so I share the bounty with you. And the other thing that I do as part of my birthday is I often reflect on the gifts that I have in my life um, all year, um, the gifts that I have that have been given to me, and you guys are amongst them. So I want oh. to thank you for being a gift to me, not just today, but always. Well, thank you for saying that, and and I... Uh, you're welcome, I guess. We're happy to have you here every Thursday. Uh, you certainly enrich our lives and the lives of our listeners. So thank you for that. I mean, we, it, it sounds like we're we're trying to figure out the connection between the listener who let us know that it's your birthday. Mm-hmm. So if Donna, if you're listening, maybe can you just elaborate on that a little bit? We certainly appreciate the tip, though. <laughs> Carolyn wants to know, how did the heck did she know it was my birthday? <laughs> Paraphrasing. <laughs> but I take detailed notes. Like one James Comey. Yes, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe we can transition from today's major news. We Mm -hmm. haven't spoken about it at all because if people want to learn about what happened on Capitol Hill today, there are lots of places to get it. So no shortage of resources covering the story. Absolutely. So we don't need to harp on it here uh, in the afternoon. We want to be an escape from that, uh, in my opinion. Uh, But this whole idea of the blame game and who's at Mm. fault can really be a stumbling block in fixing a problem, whether it's a relationship problem, a procedural issue, or somewhere in between. Right. I think um, often there, everybody's so busy trying to decide whose fault it is, thereby saying it's not my fault, um, that where people are trying to offload blame and offload hurt to, so as they don't feel like somebody is going to be thinking that they're the problem, that what happens is, A, we don't get to actually fix the problem, um, and B, everybody's trying to get somebody else to fix the problem, and and in it in the and in the meantime, we don't actually work collaboratively to get the issue resolved. And I, as a family therapist, we don't look to say so who is the problem. We look to say where in the system um, have the patterns been created that have perpetuated this problem. So it's not necessarily a healthy thing to try to ide- identify the source, so to speak, to find the fault in the system. Well, and I think it's 
it's often feels good to a person to say whose fault is it, which usually the implicit in the question is it's not mine. So who else, who else's fault is it Um, that people want to do that so that they can feel better about themselves, but it's often not helpful to really address the issue because I guess I would invite each of you guys to think of the last time that somebody blamed you for something for in an argument or something that went wrong, that probably there was a reason why you did what you did. And it wasn't that you set up to say, Oh, I want to make my, that, that life of the other person difficult, I'm just going to be a jerk to them, that even if you were late, it was because you were late because somebody else held you up or there was traffic that couldn't be. And so you weren't working to make up another person's life difficult, that that problem arose because of another issue, which arose out of another issue, which arose out of another issue. And often it's a far more complex than whose fault is it. It's more of patterns that create the issues that sustain the problems. I usually blame myself anyway, so <laughs> usually the first one to blame myself for everything. So I, know, I always beat anybody to the punch to blame me. But Donna has answered the question, by okay. the way. She's a Facebook friend of yours. Oh, awesome. So your birthday came up on her Facebook, so she says happy birthday, Carolyn. Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks, it's Donna. overwhelming the number of Facebook uh, birthday greetings that you get. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very humbling experience. I'm saving mine till the end of the day. I haven't looked yet. Yeah, well, and that's nice to do. So uh, therapists, uh, is that one of the biggest bridges you have to cross when you are sitting down maybe with a a new patient or a new couple, new family? It's just this whole idea of where do you start? And and isn't it critical that you, you find not necessarily the fault, but what the genuine core issue is? And does it get convoluted by pointing fingers? Well, I think what it does is it it detracts from understanding the patterns that created the problem and then addressing at addressing those problems at a deeper level. And often what it prevents is even a person entering into the therapy office in the first place. Mm. Um, often people think I'm not going to go into the therapy office because the, pers- the therapist is just going to tell me what I did wrong or what I should do different. And I'm not the problem or I don't want to be the problem. And so I'm not going to go. And so often um, in couples therapy, we kind of talk about the dragger and the draggee. And often the dragger has been working on bringing the draggee in for quite some time because that person feels like I'm just going to get yelled at. I'm going to get blamed and that's going to feel terrible. And why would I do that? And so often there's quite a delightful surprise when they come in and I'll say, so what happens at that point in the argument? And then what happens? And then what happens? And what happened right before that? And and we, we are, we're looking to understand what's going on in the system that creates the problems, not who's at fault here because it's it's just it's never that simple and it's not helpful and it just doesn't get us anywhere. Does it really matter in the end in some cases? I mean, I know there are clearly issues. Fault is absolutely critical to be established, but quite often when you're talking about these, this sounds like a procedural thing. Well, I think it's important to drill down and it's, it often, fault implies that there's an end point where somebody did something and it it kind of arose out of a vacuum. And so that was what the wrong thing was. But I'll give you an example. Often when we get couples that come in because of an infidelity, right, where one person has been unfaithful to the other, um, often the person who has been unfaithful is taking a lot of the blame and they're feeling very responsible and they're saying it's my fault. And what we do in couples therapy is to say, you know, this infidelity is definitely a problem. It creates a huge amount of betrayal and trust. The wounding around it is enormous. It will take far longer to work through it than is convenient for anybody in terms of the uncertainty. This is certainly a problem. But what also is an issue is the vulnerability that was between the two of you or with inside the person who was unfaithful 
there was a there was a situation in which that made sense to do at some level, and we need to address and figure out what it was that created the issue where the affair was something that happened. Um, and how do we also address that as a very real issue and dig down and drill down? The problem isn't just that you had an affair. The problem is that situation was ripe, that an affair occurred, and we need to address that as well. On the, that's not, This isn't why we brought you in, but I am just curious to ask you a follow-up question on that specific topic mm-hmm. of being unfaithful. So one, I guess, is that a common thing that you deal with? For sure. And then so the, the bigger question is, do you have... Uh, or is there success achieved in, in, in these couples finding a, a way to work through it and stay together? I love working with couples who are committed to working through um, an experience of infidelity to, in order to recover and restore their relationship. It certainly is possible if both people are invested in it. It's tough work because you're you're dealing always at two levels. You're dealing with the, with the damage that the affair created in the relationship. It's like a bomb goes off in the relationship, and that's hard. There's a lot of damage there that we have to work at and repair. And then there's looking at the underlying vulnerability, the patterns between the couple or within the individual that created the situations right for the affair. And to deal with both of those and to kind of go back and forth and to have both people feel heard and valued and be willing to hang in there and struggle through the recovery process, it's not easy. But when it happens, it's beautiful. And just like scar tissue is often stronger than the original skin, um, those relationships can end up being stronger than the original relationship was because they treasure each other. They've worked through whatever it was that was problems and they, they, they restore a love um, and it's it's a kind of a new love that's it's beautiful to watch. You posted something in conjunction with embedded within your latest blog post mm-hmm. that talks about the reintroduction of wolves to Yellowstone Park. Talk about the unintended consequences or the uh, delightfully unintended uh, result of this reintegration of a species that had been native to Yellowstone for hundreds, if not thousands of years. It was a huge experiment. Um, the wolves were taken out of Yellowstone Park, I believe, in the 1930s. Um, and it was because there was concern that they were overeating the elk and deer. Uh, and so they removed the wolves. Um, and then in the 1990s, they reintroduced them. And it was a crazy wild experiment. Nobody was really quite sure what would happen. And what was really cool, and I love, this is an example of whose problem is it, was that when there was a change in the system, when the wolves were reintroduced, what happened was life was no longer quite so safe for the elk and the deer. They were now being hunted. And so they didn't just have a drink by the river and eat all the little saplings by the river. They would have to move around and keep moving in order to avoid being prey. And so they would go into the thicker woods, which allowed the willows and the other trees at the river edge to grow. And when those grew, then what happened was it created the opportunity for beavers to come back. And once beavers came back and they chewed the willow trees down, they created dams. And when the dams were there, then the pools could build, um, pools of water, and then other wildlife came back. And as there was more vegetation on the side of the riverbanks, the birds came back because there was more berries. And the bald eagle came back even. And the, the ripple effects were huge. And even there was less erosion to the riverbanks because the wolves were introduced. And no one would have thought, oh, let's fix the erosion on the side of the river by introducing wolves back into the park. Right. That wasn't a co- consequence that anyone could have predicted. And so one of the, the beautiful things about not blaming somebody is recognizing that when we change one element in the system, the other elements will need to adjust. And so even if 
it isn't your fault that somebody else is drinking. If you change your behavior to that person, then they no longer can continue doing what they're doing in quite the same way because you've made it uncomfortable when the system isn't flexing and doing what it always does. Once one person changes the pattern, it shifts and then other things start to happen. And you don't always know what's going to happen, but you know it can't stay the same. We're going to continue our chat with Carolyn Clausen in a moment. She is a therapist, a counselor with Connexus Counseling, and their website. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was have you eat- got cookie in I'm, your throat? I'm, I might have cookie in my throat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could sneak in a bite while we were... Just turn my microphone off and lean back and take a bite of chocolate chip cookie. Uh, the website is connexuscounseling.ca. That's where you can read this blog post. It's called Fault Not Relevant, and we will continue our chat about that. After your forecast, which is up next. With the Ma- uh, <laughs> Mackling and McGarry and the birthday girl, <laughs> Carolyn Clausen is what I was trying to iterate there. So great to have you here in studio, Carolyn. I hope you're having a, a great bee day. You're part of my birthday treat. Oh, we appreciate that. Thanks for bringing the birthday treats. You're welcome. Thank my mother. Here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cookies are good. Yeah. I don't know what this one is. Got some nuts on it and some is it macadamia inside. Or I don't know. It does look good. Yeah. You see, we're trying to, to be better in here. <laughs> Jackie packed some grapes and blueberries for us today. And you go for the oatmeal raisin. Usually, now this should be just about done by now, but it's not empty. So <laughs> I like the cookies better. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for uh, for spreading our provisions out. We're talking about this idea of blame and fault and whose fault it is and and. Uh, whether it's critical to figure out whose fault is it is a, a problem, uh, the system is more critical that we figure out where the breakdown is. Is that fair to say, Carolyn? Yes, and you brought up something during the commercial break, which was um, an idea of uh, that so often we look to see where there's a problem and really what there is is more of a disconnect. Um, and one of the things I talked about was this idea of Dr. Gary Chapman's love languages. And there's a love languages um, quiz that you can take at Dr. Chapman's website, um, Five mm. Love Languages. Uh, and the love languages, I think, are touch, acts of service, words, loving words, and also service, acts of service. And there's probably one more that I was not coming to mind right away. But the idea is, is that we know our own language. The primary way that we know we feel loved is when somebody does X to us. And so it's just natural then that we would think to, that everybody else would want to be loved in the same way. And so if we like touch, then we think, oh, then hugs are the way to express love and affection to somebody else. But if it's acts of service that help them feel loved and we don't know that, then they can walk away from an encounter and say, I didn't feel cared for. I guess that other person doesn't love me. And then reacts to us as if we don't care for them. And we're wondering, why is that? Because I touched them. I gave them a hug, hello and goodbye. And they didn't seem to pay any attention to it. I guess they don't care about me. And nobody's doing anything wrong. It's nobody's fault, but there's a disconnect because there's there's not a connection to understand that the way one person feels loved is different than how another person feels loved in terms of what it feels like to be well loved, how how you receive that love. So what do you what do you do then if you you're in that position where you're trying to express yourself in an affectionate way and it ends up sort of having the the reverse effect on somebody. Well, I, well, I think it, the first is to recognize there's a mindfulness to it to say, well, because um, I didn't experience love in a certain way, I'm, I'm telling myself the story that the other person doesn't love me, and to say, is the story that I'm adding to what act- to the data actually true? Because often what happens is we add a story to it where we're trying to connect the dots in the way that makes the best sense to us. 
but the story actually isn't what's really happened. We it's only our assumptions based on the data, the, the the conclusions we draw from the data, and then we have a chance. And this is hard for some people because they don't really like to use words. And I'm a therapist. I just think it makes lots of sense to talk about it. To say, you know, in that conversation, I felt like you didn't even care about me. And they can say, well, what do you mean? I gave you a hug, hello. I gave you a hug, goodbye. And they say, yeah, but you didn't. I needed some help, and you weren't going to do anything for me. Uh, and then there's a chance to discuss the disconnect and realize that there is a lot of caring there. It's just that the messages are getting lost in translation. I understand English very well, but if someone is speaking Italian to me, as much as Italian might make sense to them and English to me, if we're both doing the best we can, we're still not going to understand each other. And it's nobody's fault. No matter how slow we speak or how loudly <laughs> Loud. we <laughs> We speak, you're still not understanding. Exactly. And it seems to make so much sense when we understand English. Why wouldn't everybody? But I suspect the person that speaks Italian would say the same thing about their language. So it's uh, affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Okay. So that that, that word affirmation is... Uh, right at the front of the list, and this list is not in alphabetical order, so I don't know if it's the most important one, but uh, I'm going to ask you about affirmation because uh, there could be different translations of that word alone. Right. A lot of what we what we do is we look to the people who care about us and who love us and who we love for them to tell us who we are. And when people are telling us that they believe in us, that they see good qualities in us, that often feels really good. Uh, and when they're not saying anything, I don't know how it is for you, but a lot of people would say no news is bad news. Um, that mm-hmm. if you're not getting affirmation, it must be because the other person's feeling very critical. Uh, and for some people, feeling that support and knowing that what they're doing is being appreciated and valued by the people they care about, that's a really important way for their tires to be pumped up. And without that, they feel really deflated and not connected to the other person. Well, how do you feel at work if you don't get affirmation, positive affirmation, Brett? Uh, <laughs> you feel invisible, right? And unappreciated. Well, you know, there for the most part here, I, I've always gone with the no news is good news. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. See, I'm the other way. I like okay. that idea of, of affirmation. I like to know that, that someone's taking notice. I get the under. I like it under, too. But, but, but historically, as long as I've been here, it's been no news is good news. Overall, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but right. if I were to chart it out over the years, it's been no news is good news has historically been a better thing because there have been times where it's just been negative, 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 negative. And it, when there's no negative, it's just, OK, then I, uh, that's good. So is there a chance Brett takes that not to analyze him, but is there a chance that Brett takes that into his relationships? Well, what it would be interesting is for you to take the five long languages quiz to find out what are the ways that you feel um, cared for. Uh, maybe affirmation isn't one of those that is important to you, and it is very important to you, Greg. I think what's helpful to remember, and you would know this, um, both of you guys, from the feedback that you get, is that often I'm much more likely when I get bad service to complain, and when I get serv- good service, I say nothing, right? And in relationships, Dr. John Gottman says we actually need a ratio of five positive to one negative. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. And yet when you think, when you sort of settle into a relationship and get comfortable, often you only flag the negative stuff. And when good stuff happens, it's nothing of note. And so it doesn't get talked about. And um, Dr. John Gottman says it's really important to build a lot of positive into your relationship so that it has the resilience it needs to be able to handle the necessary uh, critical feedback that is part of a good relationship. Read the blog post. It's called Fault Not Relevant. It's at 
Carolyn's blog at connexuscounseling.ca. She is a counselor, a therapist with Connexus Counseling, and she joins us every Thursday at 2.30. And, and once again, if I, that test that uh, you've just directed me to take, it's Gary Chapman is the name? Gary Chapman, yeah, Five Love Languages. Okay, and uh, Greg, it looks like you found it. Have you I found did, the, yeah, the website? W five the number 5 lovelanguagescom Global News at 3 o'clock is coming up next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. And Kristen Morand is here from Power oh. 97, Winnipeg's Did I, Rock. I said Menard, didn't I? You're it, not it, the first, don't worry. Yeah, it, it's it funny, you. I remember the first time that uh, you did the the chopper, mm-hmm. the chopper traffic, and I think uh, the you're introduced as Kristen Menard. <laughs> Save big money at Menard's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, uh, I got that. I used to get Merino. I used to get a lot of things, but it, it Marino. is Morand. Please, oh, yeah, please forgive fact. me, Kristen. Merino's a good one. So the reason why you're here, you're not here, as, as part of your duties as uh, c- concert date knower at Power 97, <laughs> but you're championing this event called Time Razor 150. And uh, y- is this poster available online? I, f- I feel like I want to direct our listeners just to, to so you can see the poster because it's really nice. It's happening uh, next week, June 15th, so that's a week today at the Graffiti Gallery on Higgins Avenue. What is Time Razor 150? Well, to answer your hypothetical question from earlier, yes, they can see the poster online. We have a Facebook event page where they can check that out. And Time Razor 150 is a really neat project. It's a signature Canada 150 project this year, one of just a handful selected throughout the country. What we're doing is throwing a similar party in 10 cities in 10 different provinces. And what we do at these parties is that we auction off local art. However, the art is paid for, so the artists get paid right off the bat. So many artists are asked to donate so many things, and they don't make a lot of money as it is. So we pay them right from the get-go. And then what we do is we get a bunch of local not-for-profits on board, so people win the art by pledging volunteer hours at these not-for-profits. So you can pay with time? Exactly. I love that idea. Where is the money coming from? You say they're paid up front. Where is that money coming from? Like I said, we're a Signature 150 project, so we do have the support of the government of Canada. Okay. And uh, these parties have been going on in other provinces for a couple of years. We did have a few in Winnipeg in years past, but we just haven't had one in a few years. So we're bringing it back, tying it into the Canada 150 parties and making it bigger and better than it's ever been. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love this uh, tagline here. Bid time, do good, get art. That's right. People have one year. So at the party, they will pledge their volunteer hours for whatever piece they feel really strongly about. Then they have one year to complete those volunteer hours. And then if they have met that commitment after a year, that's when they get their art. So what kind of art can we expect to see on display and that are up for bidding? Can I see it now? Uh, some of the pieces will be up on the Facebook event page shortly. They're not up just yet, but we have a great range of stuff. We have, uh, lots of photography. Winnipeg has so many up and coming photographers right now. So we've got uh, a really good handful of those. We've got some sculpture. We've got a lot of painting. We have collage. It's a a varied group of artists. We have 17 pieces that we're going to be uh, offering up. And two of those will actually be painted live in front of your eyes at the event. Oh, wow. That's, now that's kind of neat. Yeah. So the Graffiti Gallery, that's one of these uh, places that uh, I remember when they when they were opening it and I would see them outside sort of working, just doing their graffiti stuff. I've never been there. Can you tell us a little bit about this facility? Yeah, it's a, it's, I would, I would not say a nondescript building, but uh, you've probably driven past it a thousand times and not even known it. It's on Higgins and it has a bunch of graffiti on the outside. It's quite a small gallery, uh, but it's a really comfortable space, and it is mostly dedicated to graffiti and, and street art, but they hold all kinds of events there throughout the year. 
Uh, street art has become very popular for display art and uh, urban and suburban homes alike. It has become a genuine art form. Absolutely. With the rise of artists like Banksy and um, Shepard Fairey, stuff like that is so much more common in homes now than anywhere else almost. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned the photography Great art featuring Winnipeg as a subject is difficult to find. Will I be able to find a little bit of that here? Absolutely. We have one picture that I think might tug at your heartstrings a little bit. It's by an artist by the name of Carla Dick, and uh, it's a scene of the Exchange District, and Mm. it will instantly transport you to the Exchange District on a rainy night. Fantastic. And why, here's a... I'm curious about this. That some people might be asking it, so I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate and pose the question: Why is it important to support local artists? Well, I kind of touched on that already. I mean, local artists are always asked to give, give, give. It's not a profession where they're going to make a lot of money unless they're hugely successful, anyways. So it's important to support them. But not only are you supporting them, this is a win, win, win. We pay the artists, we connect not-for-profits with skilled volunteers, and we help Canadians donate their time to causes they care about. How'd you get involved in this? I was tapped from the uh, main organization in Toronto. Somebody heard about me, I don't know. Well, because uh, the reason I like that uh, I find it interesting that you're involved in this is you're involved in all sorts of things, you know, You and I, I think it sort of touches... It seems to me that you're passionate about Winnipeg and you want to get involved in in a whole bunch in all sorts of different ways. So what drives your passion for the city and this community? Absolutely. Well, one of my biggest pet peeves has always been when people say, oh, there's nothing to do in Winnipeg. You hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah. That couldn't be farther from the truth. I think the problem is people have a hard time finding out about things and not finding out the day of or the day before. Right. Or the day after, worst case scenario. And so I think it's really important to promote the things that we have going on in our city because there is really a wealth of stuff out there. And we're this fantastic little nebula of creativity. We spend months and months in our basements and creative spaces in the winter. It's nice out. Get outside. Go see it. So how can people uh, truly get involved? Do you need to be physically on site next Thursday night? Talk about the process. Well, we'd love to have you on site next Thursday at the Graffiti Gallery. Things will get going at about 7 o'clock. You can buy tickets online at Ticketmaster, or Ticketmaster, timeraiser.ca slash Winnipeg. But if for some reason you can't attend the event and you'd still like to uh, put some volunteer hours towards the project or you'd like to buy a piece of art, they're doing an online component as well. And this will kick off on the 1st of July. It's called Online 150. You pledge your volunteer hours online and you keep track of your volunteer hours and you can win a piece of art that way as well. And again, you can also find this on Facebook. And what did you say the, the Facebook event page was called? Time Raiser 150 Winnipeg. Easy enough. Kristen Moran, thank you so much for joining us. You may know her from our brother station, as they called it down the hall, <laughs> uh, Power 97. And you, uh, in this particular case, she is the local project manager for Time Razor 150. Thanks for joining us, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Traffic, weather, all up next. 319. It's a gorgeous afternoon. But you know what? There's a movie that uh, everyone's talking about. We happen to have tickets for it. Let's give them away now. Wonder Woman. What are you? I am Diana of Themyscira, daughter of Hippolyta. In the name of all that is good, your wrath upon this world is over. Ah, uh, each passing day, I want to go back more and see this movie. I need to go back and see it again and actually get a look at it straight on. 
When I was at the Mummy last night, it was in the same theater that I saw Wonder Woman in. Uh, no, it wasn't even. I actually got in there uh, at a decent time, so I was able to get a good spot. So it was nice to look at the movie straight on, as opposed to from the third row aisle seat, sort of looking like directly over my left shoulder to look up at the screen. So I need to go back to Wonder Woman and see it. Uh, we want you to see it too. Run of engagement passes for Cineplex theaters. The passes are valid Monday to Thursday, excluding holidays. And the question is fairly simple today. If you're a Wonder Woman fan, is the phone already ring? Oh, no, that's a different line. I think somebody has found a different line to sneak their way into. You're getting mad at one of our reporters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's the reporter line, I think. But uh, yeah, I bet you it's a contest. Oh, a listener has yeah. found the back door. Yeah. Interesting. Our listeners are smart. Oh, yes, they are. The question is, Wonder Woman carries a lasso. What is it called and what does it do? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Lasso's things. Yeah, but there it does more. Hmm. Did I get it right? Is it you you carry the lasso and then when you you lasso the cow or whatever the object is. I think that's right. Okay. If you know 780-6868 <laughs> correcting Macklingham and Gary's English could be a part-time job for someone. We're asking for your feedback on this one this time. <laughs> Lasso versus lasso. She carries a lasso slash lasso. What is it called and what does it do? Do a deer. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Three uh, twenty-one. What have we got coming up? Still to come this afternoon. We are going to talk about zebra mussels in Manitoba with uh, Dr. Scott Higgins. He is with the International Institute for Sustainable Development. Of course, the, the topic of zebra mussels has become a serious one in this province over the last couple of years with attempts that ultimately were failed to try to get them under control in the lake. And you, you've got boats coming out of the lake that are just covered with them from the bottom. So we will have this chat uh, especially now that we're moving into the summertime and a lot of people are going to want to get back out on the water if they haven't already done so. And we have more prizes to give away as well. We have RCMP musical ride tickets to give away. Don't say where or when it's taking place. Oh. That may or may not be the trivia question. Have no fear. I I don't remember. So <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Lucky for you, I don't really pay attention to a lot of things. <laughs> Everything's coming up Millhouse right now. (laughs) And then we'll hear from Rich and Julie, of course, to tell us what's coming up on the news, uh, which is on from 4 until 7. In the meantime, while Jeff Forte looks for a winner for the Wonder Woman contest, we will pause and have a quick look at your forecast. And then TFJ's got sports, all starting in two minutes on 680 CJOB. 3.38, Thursday afternoon. He's Brett. I'm Greg. We're with you straight through until 4 o'clock. Richard and Julie will pop in in a few minutes to let us know what they have in store for you as they are your partnership and your compatriots as you make your way home through the early evening straight through until 7. And then it's our good friend Charles Adler, 9 till midnight here on 680 CJOB. Zebra mussels are something that for many years were feared. The fact that they might come to Manitoba one day was something that was talked about in the cottage community, the boating and fishing community. Well, they are here and they are here full force, unfortunately. There's no turning back from these animals, these organisms of destruction. And to talk about them a little bit is Dr. Scott Higgins. He uh, joins us now. And Dr. Higgins, 
zebra mussels, maybe we should uh, start with the basic question, what are they? Well, uh, it's a good question. Uh, zebra mussels are small, very small mollusks, uh, about a meter in length, uh, up to a few centimeters, and they grow on the bottom of lakes at extremely high densities. So they're, they're an invasive species. We don't want them here, but uh, you're right, unfortunately, they're here. Now, Dr. Uh, Scott Higgins, you're a scientist with uh, the International Institute for Sustainable Development. So you've looked at the ecological impacts of zebra mussels across North America and Europe over the last decade. Greg used the term organism of destruction. Is that, uh, I think that's probably the most fitting term for them. Would you agree with that? Well, I, d- destruction might be a bit far, but they are the poster child for aquatic invasive species. Uh, when they arrive uh, into lakes, uh, the whole ecosystem uh, often shifts and changes in ways that uh, uh, are sometimes unpredictable, but we've got a lot of experience from looking at a lot of lakes that have been invaded in the past. Do they do anything good at all? Do they have any redeeming well, qualities uh, whatsoever? Potentially. <laughs> uh, if you like water clarity, so uh, they often improve water clarity. So you, that's one um, indicator of, of lake health is people like clear lakes. Uh, so they can do that. Um, but there's, of course, many downsides. By clearing up the water, they're removing the, the plankton, which are the food sources for the higher trophic levels. So that's where the issue comes in. So we're getting reports that their shells are now ending up uh, on the shores of Lake Winnipeg at Gimli and uh, on the other side of the lake near uh, Padricia and Grand Beach. Uh, uh, is this a long-term thing now that they're here? Where, will their shells be sort of a, a part of the environment henceforth, or is there a cycle? How does that work, Dr. Higgins? All right. It seems that uh, we... Well, I think you're right. They're here for the long term, uh, and I know people... I'm sorry, Dr. Higgins. Uh, Forgive us. We're going to have to... Jeff Forte, why don't you talk to him off the air and ask him to call us back, because we've had a terrible connection this entire interview, and what's what we should have done right out of the gate is push the pause button on uh, Dr. Higgins and asked him to, to call us. What happens... We'll just tell you what happens. We have dig- everything's digital now. <laughs> we have these digital phones. <clears throat> when they work, they work great, but they are more prone to not working. And uh, I, I liked it better when everything was analog. Well, they highlight every little idiosyncrasy, right? Any any uh, modulation on the uh, phone line gets highlighted. Anything, all the bad stuff gets highlighted, that, and it can eliminate the the good stuff within the signal. All right, this one better, Jeff. We're going to try him again. All right. Dr. Scott Higgins rejoins us from the International Institute for Sustainable Development. Dr. Higgins, our apologies. Thank you for uh, being a good sport here. We appreciate this. Uh, so no I, problem. I, so, oh, yeah, that's much better. Okay, so uh, let's just reset where we were. Um, Greg, you had posed a question, and then we... Right, with regards to the mussels and their shells seem to be showing up on the shores uh, at some of our most popular beaches. Are those shells going to be a fact of life henceforth, Dr. Higgins? Yeah, that's true. Uh, They are going to be a fact of life. They're going to be washing up on the beaches for years to come. I know a lot of uh, cottagers and homeowners have been concerned about cutting their feet on these shells. Um, 
it's not generally a problem on the beaches when there's in the sandy environments, but if you live in an area that has uh, sort of rocky lake bottoms and the mussels are attached to those rocks, they can be very sharp. And so, you know, you would probably need to wear water shoes or something like that. Now you were saying that zebra mussels can help with the clarity of the water. How does that work? Well, so they're filter feeders like any other mussel, uh, bivalves or, or other mussels. So they filter the water and they are looking for plankton to eat. Uh, so while they're filtering the water, they're removing the particles, uh, and that improves the water clarity. So hmm. I guess at this point, uh, you know, are we always going to have zebra mussels now in our lakes here in Manitoba? Is that like uh, uh, there's no turning back kind of situation? Uh, I think that the unfortunate answer is yes. Of the uh, about 800 or so lakes that they've invaded in North America, only, I think, two have seen uh, a successful eradications of, of mussels, and those have been fairly small lakes, uh, quarries. So in a lake the size of Lake Winnipeg, unfortunately, they're here to stay. Tell us a little bit about the environmental lakes area and why that area is so critical in the research as it pertains to not only zebra mussels, but other invasive uh, species like zebra mussels? Okay, well, really what we're trying to do here is understand how uh, humans impact uh, aquatic environments, and we do it in a number of ways. We're, we're one of the only places in the world where you can do whole ecosystem experiments. So this is, you know, we learn things in the laboratory, we, we start to scale up, and eventually we, we move to these whole lake scales, uh, and, our under, and our idea is to try to understand how things, uh, different members of the food web or different contaminants uh, uh, will affect uh, the things that we care about in lakes, water quality, uh, fisheries, uh, those sort of things. Dr. Higgins, thank you for this insight. I, I wish you had better news for us. <laughs> I wish I did too. <laughs> uh, but the, the good news is uh, other, other uh, communities uh, have, have survived with zebra mussels in their lakes. I think it's just a question of us adapting to them now. How do we prevent them moving from one body of water to another? I'll uh, leave on that uh, bit of advice. It's probably pretty important. Sure. Well, this is where the public is really important. So if you, if you are a boater on Lake Winnipeg uh, and you are intending to take your boat from the lake and go fishing or, or boating on another lake, it's really important that you decontaminate your boat between sites. So clean the mussels off your boat, uh, empty the bilge water, uh, empty uh, live wells, uh, those sort of things. That's incredibly important. I understand that the temperature of the water is critical uh, when you're doing this. You've got to heat it to temperature. Uh, that really helps if you can get the water temperatures, uh, you know, really high. That, that really helps in killing off the mussels. Another thing is just, to, you know, uh, it's to leave your boat out of the water for, it has to be up for two to three weeks. These guys can live, they can close their shells up and, 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 just, and just survive for, out of the water for, for two to three weeks. So it's, it's amazing. And you mentioned it, but our line wasn't super clear how tiny that they can be. Uh, do they start off, obviously, at some point they're a microscopic level, but can they live in that microscopic form on the bottom of your boat? Uh, yes, they can. I mean, they, when they reproduce, they, they uh, turn into what's called veligers. These are the small microscopic uh, uh, portions of their life cycle. And that is what 
uh, they swim around and they look for a hard surface to attach to, and and then they eventually grow into to those uh, muscles that we we see in the in the news. Um, but they start off incredibly small. So when you pull your boat out, you may look and not see that they're there, but they could well be there. Kind of the point I was trying to get across. I appreciate you playing ball with me there, uh, Doctor Higgins. I appreciate it very much. Okay, you have a wonderful day. You too. Uh, this is uh, something that I was hoping we were going to be able to avoid, Brett, this uh, zebra mussels thing, but they're here and they're here to stay. From the International Institute for Sustainable Development, we want to thank Dr. Scott Higgins for joining us this afternoon. We have traffic coming up. We have weather coming up. Richard Clucci and Julie Buckingham to tee up the news, and we still got to give away some more prizes, RCMP musical ride tickets, so we'll do that all starting in two minutes. It's all a huge guess. One thing we don't have to guess at is what's on the air between 4 and 7. It's the news with Julie Buckingham, Richard Cloutier. It's not a guess when it comes to the weather. Mike Conkin has studied long and hard. He relies on European and Canadian models. Is he, he is a meteorologist. Is your house or something? He, he gets to work with European and Canadian models? Weather models. Lucky guy, oh. Huh? Oh, okay. Weather models. Yeah. Right. He must owe you a lot of money. They got a bromance happening. Sometimes I feel like a third wheel. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. That accounts for for uh, Richard's uh, rose-colored glasses as it pertains to uh, Konkin and his forecast. <laughs> sense of feud brewing here. <laughs> What's going to be a spin challenge. Hi, Mike. We know you're watching. <laughs> we have a camera in our studio, and apparently the it's only, one way, the which only is weird. person that can see what's on the other end is, in fact, Mike Conkin. And, and he enjoys a program watching Mackling and McGarry. We, we'd like if to expand the live stream. you believe that he is sitting there for three hours. By what the way, would, you, uh, would you eat horse? Not a chance. Why do you think a horse is different than a cow? Because a cow in our culture is born to be turned into food. A horse in my family is something you ride, not something you eat. But could it not be something that you eat? Mm, not me. <laughs> I would try it. I mean, you would try it. Sure. I've tried. I've had deer. I at first thought that was kind of weird. Bald I tried, eagle. I tried. What's that? Would I try bald, bald? eagle? I wouldn't. I, I, Panda. A symbol of America? I don't, a symbol I, of China? Would you eat bison? Right? I have. I had a bison right? burger. Would you have bison? Yeah. Bison is the symbol of Manitoba. I will not eat bison. <laughs> I have had a bison burger. I'm kind of joking there. Okay. But I did it grudgingly because bison is the symbol of our province. Why so. do you ask? Brittany Greenslate will join us just after the 4 o'clock news with more on her global news exclusive on uh, the horse industry and real concerns about the shipping of these animals uh, overseas. Uh, Brittany working on this story, and she'll join us uh, just after your 4 o'clock news. Also, of course, we'll be giving away tickets to the Simon and Garfunkel story. We have more <coughs> famous duos coming up for you to guess. Did you notice that? Clearing of the throat? I yes. did, but we, we are almost out of time. So, Richard and Julie, we're going to thank you for your contribution today because Rich, or Greg has to give something else away just as he put oh a grape in his mouth. It's all good. Okay. It's just a blueberry, very small I'm muscle. I'm sure why on. we came by then. I'm yeah. sorry, you guys. We, we, do, we need to roll. So, Greg, let's get it done. Musical ride, RCMP musical ride coming to Winnipeg. When and where? The first caller at 780-6868 to tell Jeffrey Forche. The answer to that question gets four tickets to go to the RCMP musical Ride. I'm Brett. He is Greg. Jeff Forte is a master control. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham coming up on the news from 4 until 7. Charles Adler tonight, 9 until midnight. 
Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.